The chemicals are originally, you know, that are used to make meth or fentanyl mm-hmm. come from some of these factories in China that were shut down for months. Oh, so guess, that backlogs yeah. stuff with cartels in Mexico, which <laughs> backlogs stuff with when you have 10,000 vehicles crossing a border, oh. you can hide stuff. But if you have only 500 vehicles crossing a border, it's a lot harder to smuggle stuff in. <laughs> Welcome to ICYA Raw, the first in the in a series of podcasts that will, I'm sure, make it to number one eventually. My name is John Jansen. My name is Andrew. Andrew who? Oh, I should probably say that. Yeah, Andrew Braun. There's multiple Andrews here. There's a few here. Andrews. There's probably a bunch of Andrew Brauns as well, but there's only one John Jansen. <laughs> yeah, there's only in... Uh, Except in Steinbeck. On this block of Winnipeg, there's only one. <laughs> I'm not even sure that would be true. Uh, thanks for joining us on the very first ICYA podcast. ICYA stands for Inner City Youth Alive. Yes. Yeah. So for the longest time we've been talking about and very interested in podcasts, but there's this thing called time and there's not enough of it. Uh, and so we haven't gotten around to it. So this is our attempt to make a podcast because some of our Community, some people who are involved, whether it be donors or people in the neighborhood who are involved with Inner City Youth Alive, have expressed interest in connecting in kind of a, you know, something you can listen to in your car because the days of radio have come to us now. And so we're trying to make something where people can connect, but I can't promise that we'll be completely consistent or shiny or polished. That's why we're calling our podcast ICYA Raw. That's right, and and we know that our community around us loves stories, and we love to hear stories and tell stories, and so this is just another platform for us to do that. Yeah, we um, should introduce ourselves. Yeah, I guess so. Um, my name is Andrew Braun, as I mentioned before, and I am... He's from Saskatchewan, Saskatchewan. but we still let him work here. I'm amazed. Yeah. Yeah, I he even cheers- wear green sometimes. He wears green. And cheers for the riders, and we're still friends. It's amazing. It's the weirdest thing. Now, the idea is going to be that every time I'm going to try to, you'll probably hear me and Andrew or Andrew and someone or me and someone at the beginning of a podcast to introduce what you're going to hear after, but it'll be something sort of different each time. Oh, and I didn't introduce myself. Yeah, you should introduce yourself. My name is John Jansen. I am from... I don't know where I'm from anymore. At one point, I was from Killarney, Manitoba, in the Great Southwest, part of the province just south of Brandon, um, where there are lots of Ryder fans, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. But, uh, it bleeds over. It, just, it tends, bleeds over. So I grew up uh, last of the original farm boys, but I wasn't much of a farm boy. So eventually, when you're 18 uh, and you're from Killarney and you're not a very good farm boy, you leave. And so I left first to Winnipeg, where I lived in the inner city, in the North End and in Point Douglas, and then I took off to Japan because got to always see what's over the next hill, and so I stayed in Japan for 12 years, and about eight years ago, I came back to Winnipeg and found myself eventually back in the inner city, and so that's a bit of my story. Now, today, we are going to be talking with who? We are going to be talking with Kent Duick, who is the executive director and founder of Inner City. 
He has been working in this community now for probably about 35 years. We've uh, also got Harvey Rempel who's joining us. and Local legend. Local legend. Many people have met Harvey and love Harvey. I often say about Harvey that he's the kind of guy who's about whose life you could make a Hollywood movie, but he's also the kind of guy who would never let you make a movie about his life. Yeah, he doesn't like the spotlight, but nope. he has so many good stories, and so we try to squeeze stories out of him as often as we can. He's pretty much committed his life to the inner city and guys and women who are trying to get out of the gangs. So he spent lots of time in prison settings at the Manitoba Youth Center and him and his wife and his family, they live in the heart right, of right the North End. Yeah. Yeah. And same with Jeremy too. Uh, Jeremy Zare, it joins us all the way from Illinois, United States of America. See, we let Ryder fans and Americans. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, he's a Cubs oh, fan. Grace. Whoa, even, uh, that's just... Yeah, wild the kind of people we allow around here. I know. Jeremy is a great guy. Uh, he cares deeply for the community around him, and he and his wife Teresa actually also live in the neighborhood. And she's the preacher over at Aberdeen EMC, and so she is the pastor. And Jeremy works here full time. They both live in the community. Jeremy actually started here as a volunteer and went to CMU, I believe. How long has Jeremy been at ICYA? Oh, man. As a volunteer included, probably around 10 years. I think he's been a staff here for about four years. You've been here? About three, four years. And I barely over a year, so I'm very much the rookie around here. And and both Kent and Harvey. I think Harvey's been here 16 16 years. Yeah, and Kent, like we said before, about 35 years. So there's lots of experience. Lots of wisdom. Other than me. So let's get into it. So today we're going to listen... Uh, to a conversation where Kent and Harvey and Jeremy, a little bit of me, talk about how the COVID crisis has changed things at ICY. It's been a bit of a, a wild last two months, Andrew. Yeah, you hear some things in the news, and then you might hear things differently from what's happening in the community. And so, these guys are going to just touch on what they are experiencing, and, and a lot of it is different than what we might read or see, uh, but they've got some good insight, and it's some real insight from right on the ground here in the community. So let's get to this conversation. Welcome to a new experiment. We're trying at Inner City Youth Alive. Well, not new. Slowly evolving experiment. We're trying to see uh, about some updates. The COVID time has given us like some crazy shifts in what we're doing. And so we're trying to keep our crazy donors. What? Shifts. Shifts. Shifts, okay. Shifts. This is, uh, this is a child friendly. <laughs> keep it a child friendly. Uh, yeah. So we're in some Sorry. deep shifts. <laughs> Here we go. It's it's on. So we want to, we've already got a series of updates on the Facebook page and the YouTube page, which you can check out and join us in for. Feel free to ask questions or or give feedback, Um, but we want to keep trying to do that. So today we have the vulnerable leader, Kent Duick. What are you doing here? Well, I I got called into this, and I'm very interested in what's happening in our community, and I just also want to get the word out, and and we've got two seasoned vets sitting here who uh, who have years of experience. Who are they? Intros, guys. Jeremy. Who has worked in our community outreach department for how many years? Uh, Four years now. 
four years coming mm-hmm. to us from uh, some country to the south. I've heard of it. It's something like United something. Or other. Yeah, it's our neighbor. Our neighbor yeah. to the south. We don't we don't mention it anymore. We don't friendly neighbor. <laughs> and Harvey Rampel, who's been here for um been here as a community minister for I think fourteen years now. Okay, so these are two of our longer term uh, community ministers. What does community minister do or mean? What do you do around here? One of the ways I've often described it is that um so many on our team are running different drop ins and clubs and programs. Uh, throughout the year and there's a few of us that have a little bit more flexibility intentionally built into our schedules to be able to respond to um, and walk alongside a lot of the youth and young people and their families that we've connected with over the years so it means being there in the day-to-day kind of grind of life of helping with emergency food situations helping kids get back into school if they've been kicked out helping navigate the labyrinth of the justice system or visiting friends in the hospital or in jail. And, and how is that shifting right now? So a, mu- a month and a half ago, nobody was thinking the world would be shut down and life was just cruising along, tickety-boo for you, doing regular stuff. How is it different now? Yeah, I mean, some things are completely um, different. We're not allowed to go into any of the jails to visit a lot of the guys. We used to run weekly Bible studies and visit guys at different jails. And of course, we're not allowed to do that right now. Um, so we've been able to write a lot more letters to guys that are locked up and um, just to remind them, let them know that they're not forgotten. Um, we're not able to just as freely visit a lot of the um, youth and young people that we connect with or their families. So for us, we're often connecting with um, teens, older teens and um, young adults in their 20s and even some in their 30s. <clears throat> Jeremy, are you seeing it affect the kids? The changes are affecting the ki- kids and young adults that you're working with in fairly significant ways? If so, what kind of ways? Hmm. Well, I mean, I think, I think uh, the, this reality is affecting everybody on some level. Um, I think uh, some of the, the young men that I work with... Uh, it's affecting them in a in a way that is re- rising their stress levels. Um, so a few of the young guys that I've connected with in the last couple of weeks uh, have um, uh, have talked about the lack of uh, places to go, uh, lack of supports that they can turn to and even, even, even a, a lack of, um, homes where they can, um, check in with. So a lot of these guys, um, who've kind of grew up on the margins, who've grown up in and out of different homes, maybe in CFS, uh, maybe gang involved, you know, that kind of stuff. They're used to having a lot of contacts in the neighborhood, a lot of different places that they g- can go to, you know, when they need something or, or for a night, you know, to, 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 to sleep on a couch. And now a lot of those, like the guys are finding that a lot more of those places are not opening their doors because of COVID, because of the restrictions. And so, so, uh, just, it means that those guys on, on, on the margins who are kind of couch surfing, uh, have a lot less options of places to go. So that's one thing that I, that I'm noticing for sure. Uh, there's also some guys that are doing well uh, too. 
Um, so one guy I just talked to today, um, he's been um, he's been out of jail now for a few months. He's living with his girlfriend and his baby, and um, he's been job searching ever since he's gotten out of jail. He's been re- persevering through that, and I just heard today that he got a job. Like he's working, he's working um, in a in a, um, uh, a temp agency. And so uh, he got hired there, and he was working at a at a recycling plant this week. And so um, another another young man that I talked to just got hired um, at Walmart. Uh, and so like kind of overnight shift. So I, I think it depends on where guys are at, and and uh, that maybe some guys are finding some opportunities if they have the stability already, if they have that stability in place. There are some opportunities, and and also it depends on their. Their, what their mental health level is at, where their capacity is at this, to, to handle. This kind of rhymes with one of the, the general themes we wanted to talk about a little bit today that we're, fa- like we're finding, it's always on our radar, but it's, it's extra on our radar right now. And it's this idea of relief versus development, which is always a main theme in the inner city generally, but it's something that we grapple with pretty specifically because you've always got on one side an impulse and a need for there to be relief, which means like what the you know what would negatively be called a band-aid solution. Something right now, food and, and shelter and clothing right now, right? But the whole point of community outreach is to have more of a community development lens where we're looking to the long term, rebuilding relationships that have been lost and uh, have to be there for there to be long term health but those two can come into conflict in a lot of ways yeah i was that's kind of been my wrestle like uh because when this whole thing kicked in we're uh uh, you know we we know that we have to be nimble and we have to be responsive and so uh one of the things that we've always been about we know there's agencies in the community that do relief kind of stuff and they do it you know on a day-to-day basis and and so we were we were getting this request uh to uh, you know, to step in and to offer food and to offer, you know, kind of the basics that people needed. And so it's always a wrestle, right? Because you, you, we want to be about development, but I think that, that for us right now, uh, you know, the, the discernment is that maybe there's a season where you can be about, uh, about relief, um, with an eye towards, you know, always, always wanting to be about development. But so kind of what, what I've been thinking about these days is kind of like relief and relationship because, um, uh, we did a, we did a little survey through Facebook, albeit informal and found people talking about the fact that there's need for, for some of the basics in life, uh, like, you know, food and, and just, you know, given that all these kids are out of school, and there were so many breakfast programs in schools, and those are all gone now, right? Mm-hmm. And so then that's an added burden on a mom who's maybe got two, three kids, teenagers can eat you out of house and home, you know? And now that's on on her plate to kind of deal with. And so our uh, our uh, our reflex right now, what we're doing is we're going to be working, kind of doing some of that. Uh, but our, the caution uh, that we got from the staff, the wisdom of the team here is that that if we become like a, a, a food factory, then we lose that relationship side of, of what we're about here. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and you that know, can happen so fast, right? Exactly. We can, <clears throat> you know, people can, uh, 
I, I had a, actually a, an, an indigenous man in the community here years ago talked about, uh, you know, when you when you give somebody something, uh, then then you know if it's sort of like uh, the idea that maybe you'll get it back, then you start to look at that person and you don't see that person anymore. You start to see what you gave mm-hmm. them, or you start mm-hmm. to see you know a dollar sign, mm-hmm. and so you just really want to make sure that relationships don't get messed up by by um, you know um, us us being kind of. Are you seeing yeah. are you are you seeing people in the community with the specific needs? Is that increased in a way since this has all started? Um, yeah, I mean it. It's a mix across the board. I was just going to say I think that is one of the things that one of the ways in which we can um, respond maybe a little bit uniquely is that. So I just came from uh, there was a group of about half a dozen of us that just have been delivering hampers and care packages all afternoon. So. Different families are all all families that are connected to us over over the years. So we're able to you know bring some food and we had some fresh eggs and some um, frozen meats and you know groceries and stuff like that and care package for the kids. Um, but then we're able to check up on some of the families. A young woman who had recently lost her father. Um, check up on him. Another family where one of the young men was recently um, stabbed a bunch of times. And just kind of follow up with him and the family because nobody's allowed to get into the hospital to visit their their brother. Um, checking up on another family um, who's part of the school here, and you know how they're doing with you know being away from school and friends and homework and stuff like that. So we're able to drop off food, but also have conversations about real things and to continue to support them in that way. I think especially for families where there's been um, a person that has lost their job, you know, if it's already um, not the highest paying job and then to lose lose uh, jobs in this season is making things extra hard. And yeah, especially those that have a lot of kids in school. Um, Just to follow up on that survey, it kind of goes goes to what you're saying. Uh, the other half of, we, we heard that, uh, that people are feeling isolated and worried. And so, you know, if there's that, that kind of, uh, that connection that people in our community, our good friends in the community have with, with a familiar face and, uh, that, that sort of kind of alleviates some of that sense of isolation. So there's, you know, there's some physical relief there, but also some, some sort of support. I don't know, Jerry. Yeah, I've, I've found that some of the, some of the guys that I connect with, um, have, have really, um, uh, responded well to phone calls. Um, those that have, have kind of that, that 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 telephone connection possibility um i've been surprised by how some have 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 easily chatted for a half an hour mm-hmm. on the phone which normally would not be something that we're used become to doing. an expert in internet uh telephone services too the zooms yeah the- <laughs> yeah so like there there is a there is a, a an awareness and a longing there for for just connection even if it's over the phone mm-hmm. and so i think i think there has been a, a definite um, opportunity there to to you know take a half an hour here and there or even, once a week to check in with with guys that that uh, we're connected with if we have that you know that 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 available yeah. if they have if they have that available we're even finding that uh, you know that the one thing about this time is the way it's an amazing leveler right you know people with uh, businesses donors of ours they're finding one. Uh, a ridiculous amount of stress because for some of them, their life work is in danger in a way it's never been. And they're also finding a, 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 a ridiculous amount of extra time. So we're having long 
conversations that go pretty deep, maybe in a way that they wouldn't have otherwise. So interesting how how some of our supporters are talking about what's happening in terms of their business is cataclysmic, you know, mm-hmm. like can't really envision how life will ever be the same. And, and so, but at the same time, uh, I spoke with an individual who's a business owner yesterday and he, and he just talked, I called to check in on him and and he, and he said it, it, it brought tears to his eyes. He said, nobody's checking in on me. Mm. Like nobody, nobody's looking out to see how I'm doing. Nobody's asking, how are you doing, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, so I think um, it's really interesting too just to see how our support constituency is, like that, that, that connection with our community, that there's this, this level of empathy. I've had all kinds of our supporters and and just for the wider audience that doesn't know, we get like less than 1% of our funding is from government. So this place runs on the support of individuals and businesses and churches, church groups, that kind of thing. So it's interesting there, that, that connection. So just the, the um, yeah, that, that recognizing, of course, that our community faced some unique challenges. So it's not the same boat. It's a leveler, but it's not exactly the same yeah. boat. But there's certainly a sense of like the empathy levels are, are sure. really, really high. Guys, relationship, what are your what are your kind of the power of relationship, what you're seeing? Well, I mean, first things first thing that comes to mind is that life is still continuing mm-hmm. in the middle of this kind of limbo season that comes with um, yeah, trying to be safe and, you know, self-isolate or, or distancing ourselves and stuff like that. People are still, there's still is relationship, um, challenges going on. There's still people that are, you know, becoming victims of violence. There still are people that are dying of overdoses, mm-hmm. um, people that are struggling with addictions. None of that stuff has stopped. Um, if anything, some of that is even, I think, exacerbated when there's lots of stress when there's, um, like, from just talking to people, the price of meth has been going up significantly, and I think there's been lots of stuff in the media about globally how um, the drug scene, you know, like illegal drugs and stuff like that, is it's a, it's become a challenge. I guess a lot of the chemicals are originally, you know, that are used to make meth or fentanyl, come from some of these factories in China that were shut down for months. Oh, so guess, that backlogs yeah. stuff with cartels in Mexico, which <laughs> backlogs stuff with when you have 10,000 vehicles crossing a border, oh. you can hide stuff. But if you have only 500 vehicles crossing a border, it's a lot harder to smuggle stuff in. <laughs> All inter- of that is making... Who thought of that? Who, who, inter- who, who knew? <laughs> who knew? Keep going, everybody's supply lines. <laughs> it, it really does. And what that results in is... Prices going up in different cities all over the world. I've been reading in, you know, from LA to London to Winnipeg here. And then there's what people call a drought. Mm. And people that are already struggling um, become even more desperate sometimes then, you know, and you have to come up with twice as much money to maintain the same high that you've been, um, you know, set in before. So I think that's very much a reality as well. And especially within the specifically here in Winnipeg, the meth community, mm-hmm. um, those that are struggling with meth addictions are already very vulnerable and are already um, living in just trap houses from one place to the next and sleeping couch to couch, kind of wherever, um, that if something like this virus would start to take off within some of these spheres, it, it would 
it would spread very, very quickly, I think. so. And, and it's starting to overflow too, right? Like talk a bit about uh, there was a big fight just a few blocks south of us, and then there's been three police shootings in the last two weeks, week. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it would seem like some of these tensions, that's not business as usual, right? They're starting to spill over to some degree. Yeah, I don't know how much... I, yeah, I don't want to necessarily say this is a direct link to that. This is a direct link to that. But certainly there is already tension ratcheted up, I think, in society in general. And then communities that are more vulnerable um, are, are bearing maybe a significant brunt of that. And I think, yeah, so I know we've had even, I know it was in the news yesterday talking about carjackings going up and there's been a few of those and there's been even some stuff that has happened here. And I remember mm-hmm. speaking with a police officer a few weeks ago who said they can get to places so much quicker now because there's much less traffic, f- far less people on the streets. So they're able to get to incidents much quicker. Um, I don't know if that has something to do with it as well. I'm guessing mm-hmm. that, it, that it might. But, um, but I, was talking with, uh, I was talking with a police officer this morning, actually, actually and he was telling me that... that uh, that the pressure is immense hmm. uh, just in terms of um, just thinking about, you know, uh, just to in- interface with somebody that's maybe violent or acting out and now you've, now you're getting physical contact and you're having to, and it's completely out of control. Right. Hmm. And so just the, just the pressure of that. And I think to, you know, the stress levels uh, for, for policing right now is, is gotta be really high. Yeah. yeah. Uh, a couple of the guys that I've connected with lately and and similarly to some of the guys Harvey connects with, um, I think one of the challenges right now too, as the justice system uh, continues to uh, figure out what they need to be doing for the safety of inmates, um, uh, guys that are you know in custody and coming into custody and leaving custody, um, there I think there's, there's a there's a there's a miss that right now with um, guys being released. Um, uh, we're hearing that guys are get, being released quicker. Um, there's two guys recently that got let out really quickly on bail, and so I mean one of the things they're trying to do is 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 move people through faster, which generally is a good thing. Like the the system has always been bogged down, so that that's just been the reality for for a long time, right? But now they're now they're all of a sudden they're speeding it up. And now guys are getting released quicker with with little notice. There's two guys recently that uh, who had gotten released, and, and they told me like they were going. They they had no idea they were going to be released, and then all of a sudden they went to a bail, and then they they were out. And um and normally you'd be like, yes, great, but um they weren't prepared mentally. Like like it 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 takes it often takes an emotional kind of preparation for guys who are in and out of jail because they're going in institution back in the community that's always a stressor anyways, and so and and then on the on the other side of it, um, if they don't have the supports ready in the community, you're just throwing somebody out there uh, who's who's already vulnerable to an environment that's higher stress level and where their connections are going to be less. Both their family and friends are less likely to let them in right now, and their programs are super limited right now. So there is not a lot of place for those guys to go, unless they have, unless they're going directly into a supportive living situation. You know, potentially that could be which okay, which is, which is rare. So that's problematic, 
And and I think I think we're setting those guys up for for just increased um, potential situations where they're going to be, you know, um, feel feel like they they're going to more likely use or deal or get gang involved or get involved with you know uh, other situations that will lend them going back to jail eventually, right? So there's a miss there right now, and I'm 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 a little concerned about that. Um, and, and I, and, you know, I'm hopeful that, that, uh, they can, they can, you know, find better ways to, to manage these guys coming in and out of, uh, out of the jail yeah. system. And, and I appreciate the challenge of that. Cause that would be, yeah. One of the things that, that kind of always boggles the mind is how little communication there is between all those different, between corrections and between, um, you know, parole and between um, some of the different options that there are. I mean, education, the, it goes far and wide that way. Yeah. And then, I mean, there's places where there's really good links and we have built relationships with some really great parole officers that are, that, that are on the side of, of those that they're working with their clients and, and wanting to support them and help them like very much so. But there's also so many that, um, yeah, all of a sudden, just boom, just like that, you're like, you're out. You had no idea you were getting out. You have no place to go. And one of the few options there are is to go back to a trap house where you might have some relationship with some people. And, and within hours, you're pulled back into a world of, of crime and, and drugs and violence. Um, at the same time, or flip side, there's also lots of families that, that we have relationship with that are really taking this COVID-19 situation serious and that are kind of, you know, we were talking about it earlier today that are just kind of hunkering down and trying to follow the regulations, trying to keep their kids, um, you know, inside and, and keep separated and, and respecting the rules and stuff. There's lots of families like that too. And those are a lot of the families that we visited this afternoon where, you know, every house you go to and there's a bunch of little kids running around and you're just like, Oh my goodness, they've been cooped up already all winter. And now it's finally starting to hopefully get nice out. And you're like, wow, that would be very hard to keep to keep, keep going. So are there some, uh, in the midst of all this negative, there's lots of, there's some silver linings, right? There's some opportunities in the midst of a pretty tough situation. Is there anything out there that you're seeing that's kind of a happy story, some good news? Yeah, for sure. Um, I think... I think in in our community, uh, one of the things we often talk about is that you know our, our community. There's in our community, there's a lot of strength and resi- resilience, right? People have learned how to um, survive and 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 to thrive too with difficult circumstances. And one of the things in our community, and specifically in the indigenous community, that's valued is is um, you know valuing our elders. Um, uh, a lot of times there are. Uh, multi-generational families, you know, homes in our community. And, um, and I'm, I, like, I'm thinking of a few right now that, uh, where, where that is really coming in handy and it's a gift, um, where, um, there are, uh, kids and grandkids that are able to care for their elders and, and keep their elders home and then be the ones to go out and get what they need and to be be at home with them, so be, kind of being in in a isolation, but having people there to to care for those who need it. So one home down the street, so a, a family down the street from here, uh, is a multi generational family, and the grandparents um, have uh, had um, 
three or four grandkids living with them for quite a while now, uh, which is not uncommon. It's actually quite common in our community. Um, and so they've 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 uh, been been a place for their grandkids to to grow and to and to and to develop and to to live. And now those two grandparents both ha- in the last few months have had a lot of health issues. Uh, the grandma is uh, dealing with cancer. The grandfather has recently had had serious issues with his eyes and other health issues. And so they're actually quite limited in what they can do, and they're very vulnerable right now. And so I've been, you know, uh, keeping in contact with them and talking with with them. And um, I just talked to him the, earlier this week, and he was saying how the the kids were out back uh, barbecuing pork chops. Uh, one of his grandkids is kind of taking charge of the cooking. Um, uh, uh, another one of his grandkids is the one who goes out and gets groceries for them. So grandma and grandpa can stay home. They can stay safe. And they're kind of caring for each other in that way. And grandma and grandpa still bring, you know, a sense of calm, a sense of, you know, kind of uh, 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 reassurance and care in the family, right? Mm-hmm. So it's working. Yeah. And I'm hearing that a couple other places too. There's another grandma who I was talking to her and she was saying, I was asking how it was going and, and she said, we're, we're doing okay because she lives in the basement suite of a, of a, like a, a multi-unit house and her family lives upstairs. And she says, I, I take one grandkid at a time. And, and so I give him the break upstairs, everyone get a break from each other. So he comes down and spends time with grandma and then that one goes up and then the other one comes down. Right. (laughs) So it's, it's, it's giving a break to the family. Right. So that's super valuable right now. Right. And you think about that, like that, that really helps, uh, just for people to be able to get by and to, to get, to get what they need relationally and get breaks from each Mm -hmm. other. So I think that's kind of neat when, when that's, when that's happening and it is happening in our community. One thought or whatever that I just have been thinking about a little bit is, um, like even now I just was with somebody and went through uh, a drive-through to to get some lunch and the drive-throughs are just packed whatever right and I just am like, yeah because if you don't have a car you can't go to McDonald's now right mm-hmm. oh yeah if you don't have a car you can't drive to Kildonan Park to go for a walk or Birdsill Park or something like that if you you know maybe toilet paper situation is a little bit better now but a few weeks ago. You can't drive to Walmart and then to Superstore and to whatever if you're, you know, by bus or in a cab with three kids or something like that. I just, I don't know if, it, if it's worth maybe mentioning just a couple of, of the things that that are not maybe as obvious where, um, that are that are just a little bit, yeah, I mean, most people that we're talking to in the audience maybe um, have gone to drive throughs right? Still, like, still have gone... To go get whatever, but that's a lot harder to do if you don't have a vehicle. Or I don't know if that's worth sharing that stuff or not. I'll put it in just like that. You guys are really like I really respect your just your thoughtfulness and your I don't know anyhow. Well, no, just just thinking about what these guys do and kind of um, just the care with which uh, you guys approach issues in our community. Uh, you guys are thinking about respecting individuals, respecting the people, and respecting the knowledge and wisdom that's in the community, and and uh, and just kind of um, being mindful about the kinds of things that you engage in, and just to make sure that you know, kind of that whole Hippocratic oath: uh, first, do no harm. You know, and it actually takes a fair bit of uh, you know circumspect kind of thought to say, okay, how do we go about helping in this season? 
and reminding ourselves like like first do no harm let's 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 start there and then and then from there you know uh, try to try to make whatever it is we we get engaged in actually matter and actually help so you guys are uh, your your years of experience and your your wisdom you bring to the job is really really valuable So you just heard a great conversation uh, with all these guys and, and got a bit of perspective of what's happening here in our community. Yeah, so often people in disadvantaged communities are hit disproportionately when it comes to crises. And I think that's probably some of what we're seeing in the North End right now. I mean, uh, on a organizational level, it's been a challenge because basically everything we were doing we can't do we've had to put on pause yeah and we've had to completely retool everything we do uh, but it's also created some really cool and unique opportunities and it's proven that we have a really awesome staff team here and yep. and, and i know te- we're tooting our own horn here but i'm really amazed by everyone that we've got around here well tooting our own horn but it i mean some of that was hard won like we're finding out about ourselves we're kind of like having to work together in formations that we haven't before and running into each other a little bit yeah. and learning. One of our most deeply held values is that we need to, like families, learn to walk together and disagree and sometimes even fight well and learn how to bump into each other in the right way. And that's like foundational to reconciliation and to, well, a loving, caring family group. So we ourselves are learning about that we're also learning about like our donor community who's committed to us in ways that we probably never would have realized before this and it's been i don't know a crisis brings people close together and we've seen that happening yeah it's been amazing we reached out to our supporters a while back and just asked them how can we pray for you guys we uh it's just kind of like a a soft ask to see if if people would even send in requests and we have a wall right now that is pretty much completely full of prayer requests. That's true. And and the donors are so honest. I honestly, this sounds maybe cheesy like a televangelist or something, but the other day I sat reading those prayer requests and found myself in tears with what people were sharing and sending. And uh, it's just, I don't know, you realize, you say it lots that when you're working with people in a disadvantaged community, the worst attitude you can bring is one that says, I've got it all figured out and you're a mess and I'm here to fix you. Because it's not true. That's not how things work. The truth is, I'm some part healed up, up and some part messed up. Some part healed up, some part messed up. Yeah. And so is the person you're connecting with. And so are our supporters. And, and yeah. many of them are, are real about that. And we're amazed and encouraged by that as well, that they they have a a place of empathy that many don't when they are open about the sore parts in their life and mm-hmm. the hard parts, and it creates pathways of empathy for people in our community. And this is our time where we invite you to journey with us. We are walking with the, the folks that Jeremy and Harvey and Kent were talking about, and that's where we need your support as we walk with them. Yeah, you... Like we said earlier, it's becoming such a real thing to us that whether it's donors, whether it's people in the North End community, whether it's staff or whether it's volunteers at ICYA, we're finding out in real time that we are uh, people on the same level with uh, 
strong parts and weak parts. And we're learning to have community in the midst of all that. And so we really want to be, you know, sincere about saying, if you want to volunteer at ICYA, get in touch. Whether it's uh, envelope stuffing or phoning or working with kids in the drop-in. Or or stuffing hampers or activity packs and making crafts that we send out to families that are stuck in their homes during these COVID times. There's every, every level of skill needed there's every type of personality needed Mm -hmm. and so we want to invite you to get in touch and get involved and if sometimes the most important or the not the most important one of the extremely important ways you can get involved is those checks you send us because that makes it all happen and we are sincere in saying without that this doesn't happen and so the people if you want to get involved financially and send some support to icya uh that is a very real way to uh be connected yeah and if you want to know more about where that money goes towards we want to be continually as transparent as possible so you can actually go to our website icya.ca and you can click on financial integrity or just go right to icya.ca slash transparency and we outline where all that support goes and check out our facebook page too. look for inner city youth alive inc is that the facebook page just search inner city youth alive It'll you'll find up. it You'll see Melvina Gibosh and her uh, Pray for Bacon video, and you'll mm-hmm. see a video that introduces you to ICYA. Not long like this podcast, little short minute, five minute, ten minute kind of things. So connect with that, connect with us there. Um, and we just want to say thanks and join us for the next installment, hopefully in a week or two, of ICYA Raw. Thanks for joining us.